Hello, everybody, and welcome back into Let's Dive Deep Harry Potter. Rachel and I have been doing our best Han Solo impersonations, and we've been in a thing of Carbonite for a whole year. It's been a weird thing, but we're here to talk about the Philosopher's Stone chapters 15 and 16. Just a few reminders for you and for us. Um, if the rest of the episodes of this podcast were different, I am going to change the rules right now, but I'm assuming these were the rules. Uh, we've all watched and read Harry Potter so many times that we're spoiling it. This is a spoiler podcast. If you have not read all the Harry Potter books that you want to read or watched all the movies that you want to watch or gone to see Cursed Child at a theater, they do all that stuff and then come back here because anything Harry Potter related is on the table for discussion today, even though we will try to keep it to the chapters we are talking about. Inevitably, with Harry Potter, you just spiral out of control. Uh, and finally, uh, what, these, are, these are children's books. These are books, I'll argue the first two for sure, and then it starts leveling up. The first two are definitely kids' books. This is not a kids' podcast. There will be adult content abound, so many jokes, so many swearing bits and bobs around so just please if you are listening to this podcast in front of your children that is fine i cannot stop you from doing that i just want to put a disclaimer here that we do not endorse or recommend that version of listening to this podcast rachel does that make sense to you we're all good that checks out for me perfect we are here with chapter 15 the forbidden forest i actually didn't remember what happened in chapter 14 so i just wrote this recap just based on what I read today for chapter 15. <laughs> ah, Professor McGonagall, forgetting she works at Hogwarts, apparently thinks this is the worst thing Gryffindor students have ever done. She takes away 150 points because those still matter and gives the crew detention. This bonkers detention is started by Filch, who apparently keeps change, chains oiled and ready to go for punishing the students. Fucking cool from Professor Filch out here. Harry, Hermione, Neville, and Malfoy, and not Ron, which I did not realize until the end of the chapter, are escorted to Hagrid's, where they are taken into the super dangerous forest for absolutely no reason. These four 11-year-olds are apparently going to be FBI investigators in the case of the murdered unicorns, which is, of course, very silly. During the detention, a bunch of crazy but predictable shit happens. The gang is intentionally split up. Harry runs into Voldemort, kind of, and we learn a lot about centaurs and how they single-handedly turned my entire generation into crazy people who are into astrology and need to give their star sign to everybody that breathes near them. I did not read that before we started. <laughs> Sorry, I just feel like this was the chapter that kicked it off. I have lived my whole life surrounded by people who are obsessed with their star sign. And as I was reading this chapter, I could only assume this was it. Like, the, like Harry Potter is so ubiquitous, it's the only possible explanation. Absolutely unhinged recap. <laughs> the only reason I even know I'm an Aries is because I had to Google it in high school because people kept fucking asking me what my star sign was. Mm, I don't even know what that means to be an Aries. I just know that that's what I am. If that matters to you, listener, I am an Aries. If that explains something, then that's great. That's fortuitous, actually, because Aries is the Greek version of the Roman god Mars. Oh, there we go. See, I'm learning right. so much. This is why we love astrology here at Let's Dive Deep. Mm. All right, <laughs> Rachel, <laughs> before we get into any notes, easiest slam dunk chapter ever for this. Should a Hogwarts professor have been fired in this chapter? Yes. How many? Yes. And for how many times should each of them have been fired? How many times? Okay, well, okay, so McGonagall did the right thing by reporting them. She did the wrong thing by giving them the assignment. So that's once for McGonagall. Um, Hagrid suggested that this was a thing that you could do 
for detention, or at least I'm assuming. So Hagrid at least once. Yeah, Phil? it seems to me that Hagrid's like, yo, I got this unicorn investigation that needs to happen. Give me the 11-year-olds. It doesn't seem like give this was the... somebody else's idea. Yeah, give me the children. Uh, <laughs> Filch, just like an extra five times for mentioning to children that he has oiled chains in his office. Uh, red flags abound. Um, and then, so, I think Dumbledore, he just has to take the fall because, like, the, he he's a headmaster in an environment where apparently it's okay to send actual children into the death forest um, because either he approved it or it was his idea. So either, like, Hagrid suggested it or Dumbledore's like, Don't oh, worry, Rachel, this Hagrid is all part forest. of Dumbledore's master plan to beef up Harry for the final battle. <laughs> and mean, to do you... that, you gotta send him into the fucking into forest, the forest with Neville. You have to but... send Neville in there, too. Send Hermione. We're covering for this Harry thing. We gotta send them all in there. Yeah, but playing 5D chess doesn't mean that you shouldn't be fired. <laughs> yeah, he almost gets Neville killed for this 5D chess. Here, here is what I think. McGonagall is getting fired for knowing that this was the detention and sending them anyway. Dumbledore is getting fired once again for being an awful administrator. Look, I know there's this master plan and he's playing 17-dimensional checkers and, like, Voldemort's gonna come back and Harry's gotta go to the forest and the Horcrux and all that stuff. But none of that is happening yet. This this whole thing kicks off in book two, if my memory is correct, when he gets the diary back at the end. This whole Horcrux thing. So he's not, he can't possibly be playing that far ahead. He is just an awful administrator who is currently employing Voldemort to teach defense against the dark arts. That is a current thing I mean, that is happening. And it's never really confirmed that he knows that for a fact. In book seven, he kind of just tells Snape, can you keep an eye on Quirrell? Things are weird. And then... Yeah, Snape evidently doesn't do that because Quirrell's out here killing unicorns and stuff. So you know what? Dumbledore is being fired for all this administrative mess. Hagrid yeah. is being fired for a variety of things. Wait, wait, sorry. Did neither of us say we should fire Quirrell for murdering unicorns? Sure, Quirrell should be fired, but I'm saving that for the reveal in the next chapter. That okay. Actually okay. okay, 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 sorry. Quirrell should be fired for being Voldemort. I think he gets a pass for the <laughs> other crimes. Hagrid, I'm going to list two, but you could just keep going. Uh, th he's This is his detention, is fireable offense number one. Don't bring the 11-year-old. I, I actually think like, if you want to bring the older kids, the older students who are equipped for this into the forest for like research or whatever, mm -hmm. like that's totally cool. I'm in on that. Like I don't think yeah. the forest in this chapter is portrayed as so dangerous that no student should ever be in there. But the 11-year-old's... Mm -hmm specifically like Neville, who who's not yet, he, he hasn't leveled up. He hasn't reached the new Neville level that he's going to get to. And so he needs to stay out of the forest. You can't bring 11-year-olds into the murder forest. He's getting fired again for separating them. And you've put a bunch of other addendums like, and then he left them with the useless dog. And I put that he brought the crossbow and all this stuff. So we're out on that. He's getting fired for splitting them up. And then Filch is getting fired just a bunch of times for having all the equipment he would need to torture the students, and then for saying that he used to torture the students. So fucked up. Yeah, we're getting filches out of here. It was, did that, can we, I'm just going to skip around. Did that actually, there is only one moment in all the Harry Potter books, mm -hmm. one and a half, if I'm really thinking, that truly take me out of it. That really, truly, I'm like, this is like, it, where the writing is just so contrived that I actually like get taken out of the story. It only happens once and it's in Goblet of Fire. So I'll save it for when we get there. But I actually almost got taken out of this 
a little bit when like the chains part i thought was perfect right like he's weird he's creepy he keeps the chains oiled like that's spooky for like an 11 year old but when he like goes over that he like actually like hangs kids by the wrists and like i just thought ooh, that's kind of taking me out of this a little bit like it's almost too dark for this random yeah. like it just kind of feels out of place that he starts describing specifically what the punishments the used to be because i think it's cooler and spookier and scarier if he's being like threatening like oh, you don't want to know what we do to the kids who are yeah like that's yeah. cooler i think i don't know it took me out a little bit it did and then i remembered this is also one of the schools that participates in the triwizard tournament where students not irregularly die um I but now that we're talking about it, maybe he was like fibbing a little just to be a dick. Maybe he doesn't have chains. Maybe he's just trying to freak them out. I I it doesn't sound like he's fibbing. I think he. Either, I think he either way, he's he's weird as shit. He's into it. They're children. Like he, I think he's into the punishments. He he clearly uh, wants to punish the children. He's just bitter. Like he clearly, yeah, I think we learned that this is a squib thing. That like he takes it yeah. out on all the kids who are magical because he's yeah. not magical. I think this happens in the next book as we get this backstory. But mm. he's getting fired anyway. He shouldn't be in the next book. He should be fired right now. Absolutely. Absolutely fired. All right. We're starting the chapter. Uh, this kicks off one of the funniest through lines in all the books where the squad <laughs> keeps forgetting the <laughs> invisibility cloak. You can lead a horse to water, but you cannot make a drink. You can give Harry Potter. Like, later in this set of chapters, Hermione is going to tell Harry he's a great wizard. I'm going to ask for the evidence to back this up, because this guy gets given, like, the elitist sneak ability ever. He can commit any crimes around Hogwarts he wants. He can do anything. He can go anywhere, and no one can catch him. And he just, he just continuously forgets the cloak lying around and they even like they even go over in the beginning of the chapter it's so funny like oh that was really stupid and then they <laughs> then they just do it again every single book from here on out so i just love this a little bit at the beginning where they're ruminating over forgetting the cloak because they don't know that this is going to happen all the time but i do and i think it's funny yeah i i just think it was really funny that like harry starts the chapter by saying things could not have been any worse I mean, yeah. no, it, there's things are going to get worse. worse. It, it gets, gets a little worse. bit worse for you. Like a lot worse. But I don't know. I feel like they use the invisibility cloak like an appropriate amount. It's not using the like cloak. They, it's that like forgetting it. Like it's such an overpowered oh, object that you would think it would always be top of mind to be under the cloak. To me, it would be like to me, it would be like getting a, a star in Mario. Where it's like, you just, you feel so powerful with the cloak on. I can't believe that they keep forgetting. I'll forgive it the first time when they're 11. But I'm just pointing out this is the start of a through line where they consistently forget this cloak. And I have a hard time believing that you would just consistently leave the cloak lying around. You think that, you think they put like a magnet attachment on that uh, thing. How different do you think the Department of Mysteries would have been if they brought the cloak? That's really Let's not get into all the times just using the cloak would have saved them because that's that is a common criticism of the Harry Potter novels is that many of these problems could be solved if they just if used their cloak just... properly, which is shocking because they do use it a lot. But yes, let's let's not start yet the list of things that would have been better 
if they had just used oh. the cloak properly. Um, did this? Okay, I want to. We have not yet talked about the lore of Harry Potter. This is the first book, and the reason why is that J.K. has not invented the lore for Harry Potter. We're gonna get into this later when Dumbledore needs to fly to the Ministry, right? But for McGonagall, who I like your take that she's she knows that Harry was telling the truth, but she's just lying because she doesn't want her students to get in too much trouble or whatever. But according to just what's on the page, McGonagall thinks what happened is that a bunch of 11-year-olds snuck out. They're out at 1 a.m. They lied to Draco Malfoy to get him out at 1 a.m. and be in trouble. But otherwise, like, nothing particularly sinister or terrible was happening. It's just four 11-year-olds wandering around at night. McGonagall treats this like they've broken the Geneva con Convention. <laughs> like, she is so angry. Like, and she's, like, going off, never have this, never has this happened ever in my time at Gryffindor. It's like, really? Your whole time in Gryffindor every year? And, like, the older kids aren't doing this? Like, I'm sure the 11-year-olds don't sneak out often, but I've been 17. Those 17-year-olds are sneaking around and fucking all over Hogwarts. Percy snuck out, didn't he? Yeah, like, this is happening yeah. all the time. So for McGonagall to be this outraged that kids are out at night is so silly because this has to be happening all the time. And then she goes on to, like, take 150 points away, which makes sense if she believes the dragon nonsense. But if she's just... These are just, like, four 11-year-olds hanging out at 1 in the morning. This is so believable. I can't imagine why McGonagall's this mad about it. Okay, hear me out. That's why I think my theory is right. I think she fucking knows that Hagrid got a dragon and that was stupid. Because uh, Ron was in the hospital ward with a dragon bite, That's which true. I also had forgotten. I'd forgotten that Ron hadn't gone into the forest with them. I completely uh, forgot I, <laughs> until he's yeah. in bed at the end. He's like, what poor, happened? Poor Ron. But so Ron's in there with a dragon bite. And then Draco's spouting all this nonsense about them trying to get rid of a dragon. And I think in McGonagall's head, she didn't see the dragon. She didn't see them with anything. She just sees them coming down from the tower. She knows something's a little off because not for no reason Hermione would be uh, breaking the rules like this. I think the amount of points she takes off makes sense if she does think they were doing something like helping to export a dragon um but she just she doesn't want to expel them yeah i think this is right i think your take is correct and it must be that way let's dive deep pod at gmail.com give us your take on why mcgonagall reacts the way she does here because yeah. i think there's the two options there's the option i'm presenting where she is just miss she is just like JK just clearly has not flushed out her world to understand that McGonagall had been a professor at Hogwarts anytime up until the start of this novel. It's like my is <laughs> my version of it. Or Rachel's version makes a little more sense, but but would require an eleven year old. We're adults reading this, would require an eleven year old to like find the subtext in this book, which I don't know is they I don't think they would. So I think your average eleven year old reading this book would believe my version of it anyways interesting kind of thing to email us about if you want to do that uh the last thing i have here and i bring this up every time is i love so much how much these points matter in this book and how mm -hmm. how into it everybody is first years through seventh years the professors everyone even the ravenclaws and hufflepuffs are mad because then slytherin's gonna win again which is kind of like then step the fuck up and win yourself like don't rely on gryffindor yeah. to do this shit anyways and then 
books two through seven, it never matters again. They still bring them up. They still take away points and they still give points and the points are still happening. I don't think a single person cares for the rest of these novels other than the end of this book when Gryffindor wins. And I just think that's delightful. Yeah, I think it's just it's just funny because I'm still trying to figure out the economy of points. Don't. It so, just breaks your brain. Like, I think this is why this is why no one cares about them is because no one can figure it out and it's not that important. And yeah. it's just in and the like, book. But then maybe also it starts mattering less after the first year because Slytherin's winning streak was broken. Like, and because, maybe, and because the ever-present wizard Hitler is progressively getting closer to murdering everyone. Yeah, like, just in terms of perspective, like, maybe... <laughs> It's like, but also then we learn, which I didn't know, that winning Quidditch games gets you house points. I didn't know. Did you know that? I did know that, but I can't remember why I know that. But the problem with the economy of points yeah. is there are no rules. What I will say is for those of you who are listening, uh, I work and manage an outdoor school slash summer camp as my occupation in real life. And we have four or five years ago instituted a house cup and point system, not exactly like Harry Potter, but inspired by Harry Potter for sure that we use at our facility to sort the kids into different groups. We have the, the bears, the eagles and the foxes, and then they fight it out all week to see who can win the most amount of points. And the first thing we had to do was create a really, really strict set of rules regarding the points economy so that everything matters as much as you want it to. So we want to reward good behavior. We want to reward cleaning up after yourself, being on time to things, uh, being kind to others. And so we have an economy where there's, there's a certain amount of points up for grabs during a week. And only so many of those points can be for doing super fun things. Only so many of those points can be just random points given out for kind of anything. Some of those points get given out for being sun safe because it's 30 degrees and really sunny outside. And so like the more sunscreen you wear, the more points you're going to get. But it's very strictly managed how many points in each category can be given. Because if you can just win by putting sunscreen on all the time, you're never going to try to do the other things that we want you to do. Yeah. You know, and so it's like you have to really tightly regulate these points mm -hmm. in order for them to matter and for people to buy into it. And they just don't do that at Hogwarts. It's just kind of like whatever people are feeling. Yeah, it's very loosey goosey. But then at the, at the scale, it just doesn't make sense. And it's really frustrating. Like, okay, talking back is what, two points? There's no, there is no rules. Like Snape will take five points or seventy-five points away for talking back to him, and it just depends on the day. Yeah, I, yeah. Just... Let's not, let's not, let's not burden ourselves with trying to, trying to like put our brain cells together and figure out the point system because it just doesn't make sense. We are moving on. Um, <laughs> we are going to detention now, and it is weird. Uh -oh. Filch is weird. Things are weird. Um, I like the part where they forgot they also had a detention. They've been so shamed by the entire school about this points loss that yeah. that they forget that they also have a detention. Um, this whole part where they, they see Filch, it's weird. They get escorted to Hagrid. That's a little less weird. But then you find there's like a reveal that they're going into the forest. And then there's a fun exchange with Malfoy where he doesn't want to go in. And as yeah. I was reading it, I was like, go pack. Like, don't go into that forest. You are correct. Like, these adults are Although, these adults are wrong, and you are right, Malfoy. Get out of there. Although this is the first instance of my father will hear about this. Good. Good. Yeah. He should. Out of I all mean, this, he, should. he should hear about this. 
Although Which doesn't I, last long because when Malfoy gets transfigured in book four, I feel like he thoroughly deserves it. And so we're moving out. Yeah. We're moving out. But 11-year-old Malfoy has it right here. He's right. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. He's right. But he also says it in, like, the way that makes you want to drop kick him the most. He doesn't say, I'm literally a child. This is unsafe. I'm ill-equipped to go into the forest without adequate supervision at That's night. Right. What he says is, this is servant work. So it makes you want to punt him instead of agree with him. Right. I agree. You do want to dropkick him, but... Yeah. However, I think dropkicking Malfoy is less egregious than taking him into that forest. I think if Hagrid just dropkicked Malfoy (laughs) as a punishment... (laughs) Detention! He just dropped And that was the detention? That would have been better. Oh, Filch would love that. Filch would have liked it, but that would have been a yeah. more appropriate detention than this forest business. Okay, I do, I do think we skipped over some important foreshadowing. Feel free to go back because I'm just I'm just running through. Okay, quickly. Okay, first, this really annoyed me. He said that Harry said that nobody on the Quidditch team was trying to make him feel better, and I don't believe that because Fred and George are on the Quidditch team, and they are definitely the biggest source of Gryffindor point loss for like their entire tenure at Hogwarts. So I find I found that ridiculous. Secondly, um there was like this quick little scene where Harry is like walking by a classroom and he says he hears Quirrell say like no no not again. All right. All right. And then he like runs out of the classroom and he's looking really distressed and Harry's like mm, fucking Snape it was Snape again. I bet if I saw the other door leading out of that classroom, it was Snape. Uh, it's really literally only on rereading this today that I'm realizing this is Quirrell talking to Voldemort. Voldemort telling him he has to go kill another unicorn. There was something that I thought while reading that too. I, I don't know why I skipped over it, but whatever. Um, that in the movie, the way this is cut is that Snape is in the room and he's like, has the, mm-hmm. like there's the leg thing and Snape is kind of there. And it's a little mm-hmm. more like Snape is in the wrong place at the wrong time. If I remember, yeah. he's not there at all. Like Harry hears this no, no, no yeah, thing Harry. and just assumes that he's talking to Snape without actually, yeah. like, he could be talking to literally anybody and just assumes that he's talking to Snape. I'm assuming mm-hmm. Because of the previous thing where he'd overheard Snape and Quirrell talking. It's like he's making a pretty big leap here that Quirrell's talking to Snape. It's an 11-year-old with confirmation bias. Just being like, I want to believe that Snape did this or is doing this. And so I'm just going to assume that he was talking to Snape. And I'm not going to verify anything. Yeah. They also, the trio also has a fun, not the trio. It's just Harry and Hermione, I think. Maybe Ron. Maybe Ron's there. Who the fuck cares? Ron's something. Ron's around <laughs> sometimes in this chapter. They they um they kind of go over whether or not Snape can get past the dog. And I just love this idea that they're like wondering if Snape has the magical ability to get past this dog. I'm like, I think Snape does I don't think Snape needs the music. I think if Severus Snape wants to get past the dog, he's like an exceptionally good wizard and can just like yeah. magic his way through that door. Like I don't I just like how they completely underestimate Snape as a wizard which makes sense if you're the potions master because you're not doing wand shit all the time but i just like now like once we get to snape being like a a prodigious prodigiously skilled wizard starting kind of in the next book with the dueling and whatnot um i just thought it was funny that they're like i wonder if snape has figured out how to get past the dog it's like he he can he can get past the dog yeah he's 
Oh God. Which which then brings the point. Like I am like this is so fun too because I am not sure as an adult that this dog makes any. I think all of the people who would want the stone are sufficiently skilled enough wizards to get like Dumbledore. I believe that Dumbledore and McGonagall and Flitwick and Snape can definitely get past the dog. I don't know specifically about Sprout because we don't actually see her do a ton of magic, but I'm assuming she's really skilled, right? I get that there's maybe like another tier where Quirrell is an average wizard without Voldemort where you yeah. need to do the music thing. But we don't, I don't know enough about the magical properties of this three-headed dog to understand like what level of wizard do you need to be to get past without the music? Yeah, maybe, maybe the music is just like the path of least resistance. Like, you're not feeling, like, fight being creative about it. You're just like, here's a little piano tune. Hope you like it. That's right. Okay, we are in the forest now. Mission is to uh, figure out what's been happening to the unicorns. I loved the lore that we get in this chapter, kind of starting from here and moving forward. Um, I, I noted it the first time it came up, forgetting that it came up literally 100 times. Uh, we <laughs> learned that werewolves are a thing. This will be important for book three. Um, but I love yeah. the werewolf call-outs. I also like how they're so fixated on it, like out of the million and one things. Like it's such an 11-year-old thing. To be like, like, oop, there's werewolves, there's werewolves. Are we seeing the werewolves? Where are the werewolves? Are they going to kill us? The werewolves? Like, it, it keeps coming up, which I thought was very good writing for the age of these characters. They wouldn't worry about any of the other things. They just convinced... A, they convinced themselves there were werewolves. No one told them there were any werewolves. And then they convinced themselves into, like, a spiral of anxiety about these werewolves, which may or may not exist. Like, we don't know if they're in the forest or not, so that was fun. And then the unicorns are awesome because I like the lore of the yeah. unicorns, just like I like the lore of the phoenixes, their magical properties, the kind of curse they put on people who kill them, etc. I also love it because it's like a fucking fun call out that Scotland's national animal is a unicorn. And this is based like Hogwarts is based in Scotland. So I like how in this world, like the reason why Scotland's national animal is a unicorn is because there are actual unicorns. Like it's just a fun if you know that scotland's national animal is a unicorn that's like a very scottish fun thing um then it this chapter is a delight for that yeah i also I, the lore in this is so interesting but i also had so many questions like i don't understand how rare unicorns are supposed to be because two being murdered in a week is also is like a big deal so that makes it seem like there aren't that many unicorns but it's also in like a very small area in the Forbidden Forest. So now I'm wondering, like, are there just tons of unicorns in the Forbidden Forest? Here's my take on this. I think that there are there are like a, a a surveyable amount of unicorns. Maybe they're just in this forest. Maybe they're in other forests. Right? But once in real life, once animals get into like the thousands, they're considered like near extinction. Right. So mm -hmm. it can be quite a bit of an animal while still on the grand scale of things being not a ton of unicorns just roaming around. Like, there could be thousands of them, and you'd still need to kind of look for one to find one, yeah. right? However, I think the things that makes the unicorns rare is that people don't often kill them because the curse isn't worth it. Like, they're, they're hard to kill. They're hard to, like, they're hard to get a hold of. Like, hunting them is difficult is kind of a theme of this chapter. They're fast. They're nimble. They're, they're hard to kind of track down. It takes someone pretty mm -hmm. skilled to kill one. And then once you do kill them, that's like, it's such an innocent animal. It's such an innocent creature, which is a fun concept that the curse that you get put, you live like a half-life and then that's not worth it. So people don't do it. So I think it's a mix of rarity of the animal, but I don't think you're meant to understand there's only two of them and they've died. There could be a couple hundred. 
Um, but I think the, the reason why you don't hear about them often is because they're in these forests and nobody has any reason to hunt them down. But there's enough of them that they yeah. can use them for like the hairs and the feathers and stuff for potions and wands and those types of things. So I assume there's somewhere between hundreds and thousands of unicorns. And if you want to find them, you can find them. But it's the hunting them that's more rare, which is why you never hear about them. Rare and terrible. Yeah, there's a lot of good lines <laughs> in the forest. So many good lines. It's, like, all the Mars stuff is great. Always the innocent are the first victims. Another banger line. That it's very much like a help will always be given at Hogwarts to those who ask for it or whatever. Like, one of those lines that it just, like, sticks with you for the rest of the books. Um, Hagrid saying that the centaurs are not interested in anything closer than the moon fucking had me howling. Yeah. I forgot that that was the line. <laughs> there's just so many one-liners that are either really funny or really memorable in this forest. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is you have to give credit to the centaurs. So, so just to kind of situate in the chapter, um, Harry goes with Hagrid, and they're kind of wandering around. They see or hear something, and it sounds like a, Harry thinks it sounds like a cloak. But then they hear hooves, and they meet Ronan, and Ronan won't really say much to them, except for the fact that Mars is bright tonight. Which we don't even really understand what that means. Like we, we, by the end of the chapter, we get this idea that it's like a, it's like a harbinger of something bad, but they don't exactly like, which is good. Like, show me, don't tell me. Like they don't, they don't spell out exactly what the centaurs think it means. Yeah. I think you're meant to understand that like, oh shit, Mars means bad things. Yeah. And like, they're definitely trying to tell you something. You learn a little bit later that they're not actually supposed, that they know more than they say, but they're not supposed to say that they know more. Um, but it's always fun because I didn't know at the time, but now I know that Mars is representative of the god of war. Um, so him saying Mars is bright probably means something. Um, but I, I just thought the unicorns have like a really interesting way of speaking and it lends itself to this kind of poetic prose in the chapter and it makes you pay a little more attention because usually your main company when you're reading are a bunch of children. So you're not getting very sophisticated dialogue. Or Hagrid in this chapter. Like the contrast <laughs> against Hagrid is substantial. Yeah. And so you get to experience this kind of like really, it's almost whimsical because it seems like they're being silly and then like and in kind of vague on purpose. So you want to kind of make light of it, but it is very light and kind of fluffy language that means more if you look deeper, but just on the surface it kind of seems like nonsense nonsense it's very like kind of alice in wonderland-esque lewis carroll silly yeah i think it's there if you want like i'm trying to look at this the perspective of an 11 year old reading this mm -hmm. it's there for you if you want to be 11 and like dig into mars and what it means i think you're just meant to understand like something vaguely terrible is happening and the reason why the centaurs know is because mars is bright and because you're 11 and mars is like just a planet that's very far away. The fact that they could even know this. And like, I think that's just a cool thing to think about. Um, mm -hmm. But then later in the chapter, they're like, if you haven't figured out bad shit's happening, we're just going to give you the dude eating the unicorn or drinking the unicorn blood and like trying to attack Harry. Like, we'll just give that to you. And then the centaur can save him. And then you just kind of know, oh, like something bad is actively happening. And Harry sees it happen. Um, so you get, you get both of those things. Yeah. And, and, I did not remember this line when I read it, but it struck me as very beautiful. You mentioned it already. Always the innocent are the first victims. 
I think it keeps going. I think it's like, I think it says something like, that's always how it's been and it's always how it will be or something like that. I think, I think there's two parts to that line. I only wrote down the first one. Yeah, and so didn't mean much to me um, when I was, oh God, how old was I when I read this? I was probably seven or eight. Didn't mean much to me then, um, but it rings true now. So it's always fun going back and rereading these things because you don't know what you like didn't pay attention to when you were a kid that might resonate with you now that you've like had more world experience right we learn a lot about the centaurs here centaurs centaurs um there's the first two ronan and bane and they're kind of like all weird and uppity and uptight and you know like not giving haggard yeah. they're they're conversational but they're not like overly friendly um, then once we get Harry, we need to circle back and talk about Hagrid splitting these people up just so I can vent for a second. But anyways, um, <laughs> Harry goes and stumbles upon the mystery man. And what I'm assuming is the House of the Dragon crime cloak. I'm assuming that that's the, it's the crime cloak. The crime cloak from House <laughs> of the Dragon is what Quirrell's wearing here. But Harry doesn't know it's Quirrell. So the mystery man, who I'm assuming he thinks must be Snape. I don't know. Anyways. Um, he's drinking the unicorn blood and then Ferenz saves him and Ferenz is a certified five-star fucking homie because he is, oh, yeah. he is in, he's not, he's reading the stars and he's going to do something about them. The stars don't dictate Ferenz's life. War is on the horizon, but he can participate. And so he is going to, he's going to put Harry on his back and gallop on out of there. We learn a little bit about the unicorns or about the, yeah, but like the lore of the unicorns, like, uh, you know, it gets brought up kind of why would people not just drink this unicorn blood if you could live forever? And then the line, another just banger is like only one who has nothing to lose and everything to gain would commit such a crime. And I like how it's like probably not even illegal, illegal. Like it's just like a ethical thing to not kill unicorns, mm -hmm. but everyone's so into the taboo that it shocks them as like criminal where it's like, like, mm -hmm. I think the, I think this idea, this curse may or may not exist. I'm assuming it's a magical world, so it exists. But this idea that there are just certain things that are just kind of taboos, that it's such a strong taboo that people don't even do it when, like, it's, it's like, canonized that it actually physically drinking the unicorn blood would make you live forever, which does seem like a really tempting thing. And so the fact that the taboo is strong enough to override what a good deal that seems to be Right. Like on the face of it, it's like you go kill a unicorn and drink the blood and you can live forever. Seems like a very small price to pay for what it, most people would say is quite desirable. Right. And so I, I just love this taboo thing. It's the same with the spoilers for Game of Thrones. Same with the kind of salt and bread taboo before the Red Wedding. Mm -hmm. It's not like an outlaw or anything, like, but it's so ingrained in this culture that that taboo just doesn't get broken that you almost can't believe it when someone does. I just like that kind of. I just like when that happens in a story where it's just like a cultural taboo that keeps people from doing yeah. things. There's a lot about faith and belief in there that I think is fun because oftentimes faith and belief are just represented by religions and stories, but I like it. I like it far more as like cultural taboos that like have more of a direct intrinsical, like meaningful thing on a day to day basis. And so I just think that that's super fun in this chapter. Yeah, and then I've always been curious, because we never really get to see, Ferenz tells Harry, so, okay, so first of all, they see the cloak figure, Ferenz rescues Harry, Harry asks Ferenz questions, Ferenz says that drinking unicorn blood will give you a half-life, a cursed life. 
And I've always wondered exactly what that meant. I'm because I feel like Coral dies so quickly after he drinks it that I oh spoiler, sorry. <laughs> we're we're I, spoiling I, everything. You can spoil all of Harry yeah. Potter. You're good. <laughs> I just don't know what a half life, a cursed life, which is a really ominous line that I always love hearing in the movie. Um I always wondered what that meant. I like that I don't know, because it leaves it up to me. Like I can either believe that the cultural believes it's a cursed life, even though there's no actual magic involved. Right. Yeah. And and I, I really like this taboo idea. So I like it that there is no actual curse. There is no actual half-life. The unicorn blood is genuinely magical. But people are so afraid of the effects of living forever that they've created this cursed life. And maybe the idea, too, is that living that long is a cursed life. Like that dying is actually mm-hmm. something to want because living forever makes the rest of it meaningless. So I think there's a lot there that's not actually magical. I think it's equally plausible that there is an actual magical curse. Like, this is a magical animal. The blood is magical. It has magical properties. So it could be a magical curse that gives you a curse or a half-life that I don't need to find because this never comes up again. Sometimes this works really well. Like with the unicorn blood, where I don't really want to be told. I just like this ethereal thing. I'll just believe them that it's cursed in some way, whether that's a taboo or a real thing. But it works less good later in the books where you're like, I kind of want to know what the binding magical contract for the Goblet of Fire is. It seems kind of fishy they can't get Harry out of this. Like, who's enforcing this contract? What's the punishment? Is it like the other one, the bond that Snape does? Is it death? Does Harry just die if he doesn't participate? How? Like, no one even tries to figure out how much does Harry need to participate for the contract to count it? Like, if he shows up in the arena with a dragon and then runs away and loses intentionally has he participated like if he takes two steps into the maze like no one tries to find these it's just a binding magical contract and so it works less Uh it works less well for me in that sense where i kind of want more definition but in this uh, moment i kind of don't i like that i don't know for sure and i can just believe them that culturally or in reality or just the idea of living forever any one of those three things is a curse in some way that is preventing this from having and also you know mundungus fletcher has like a unicorn blood shop in the oh, definitely. like there's some underground yeah. unicorn blood shopping happening on whatever not diagon alley the nocturne alley you know that's something you can buy yeah and it, like i saw it's just a product of talking to centaurs they're never gonna actually tell you what the issue is or what they're thinking they're gonna be as cryptic as possible which I, I kind of liked in this chapter, because even when Friends rescues Harry, they then run into Ronan and Bane, who, first of all, called Friends a mule, which, like, rude. Um, <laughs> for <laughs> letting Harry ride on his back, but also he's a child. Is he supposed to run next to Friends and keep up with him? No, stop. Um, but I thought it was interesting uh, they specifically tell Friends that he's not supposed to interfere with what has been foretold. Yeah, it's and, it's the it's the initial every fantasy every fantasy story has this where it has this like what can you do about fate and prophecy? Or what can you do about destiny? Can, is your destiny always your destiny and the things you do to avoid it end up bringing about that thing? Right? That's mm-hmm. a common thing or can you actively change it? Can the destiny and the prophecy and Mars and all the rest be wrong and like you can take action against the prophecy to change the outcome, which is what yeah. Friends' belief is. Friends says, 
like we've read Mars wrong before, so maybe we've read it wrong and we can do things to prevent it. Whereas the other two are taking the approach that like, there is nothing you can do to prevent it. Our responsibility is just to do the fortune telling aspect and then to stay out of it, which I also appreciate as a perspective. But that is like yeah. the quintessential fantasy argument about prophecy and destiny and fate is whether or not you can do anything to change it or whether or not you doing anything will just help bring it about. But what I did find interesting, though, and I'll give like a little bit of credit to I was looking at a post on Reddit that helped me get here. But Harry does eventually get killed by Voldemort in this forest. Yeah. So the stars aren't wrong. Right? No, I they think I think wrong. I think the show's ultimate take on fate and prophecy is none of it matters if Dumbledore has a fucking weird master plan <laughs> for you. <laughs> right? Like I think I think I, I think when we get later into the actual prophecies, I think it's worth mm -hmm. analyzing how Harry how Harry Potter the book like the novel series and how JK wants us to feel about prophecy and fate and destiny, but what this book series does differently is that there is the prophecy and the fate and the rest of it. There's also Dumbledore's kind of master plan which is underlining it a little bit, which muddies the waters about the prophecy and everything. But yeah, I think there's a lot of mm. symbolism. I'm not sure it's quite as related. Like, I'm not sure I'm getting that vibe, but like, there's a lot of symbolism in this moment happening in the forest here. And then J.K. Yeah. Rowling choosing the Forbidden Forest to be the place where Harry ultimately shows down with Voldemort, mm -hmm. I think is very symbolic, if not related. But I, I'm not sure I read into this chapter that it was quite related. But when we get to book six and seven, I might feel differently. Yeah, it was really only something that occurred to me on a reread. Just, you know, I started with Mars is Bright tonight because when I was a kid, that sounded really dumb to me. Uh, so I just, like, didn't think anything about it. But then once I realized that it could mean something more, I started reading more closely into what the centaurs were saying. So if it's foreshadowing, very clever, very smart. If she just wrote it as a gag, it'd be like, oh, you can't thwart destiny. But then she revisited it um, to yeah, write this in book seven. Here's my take on JK. She is a sufficiently good, above average, potentially great foreshadower. She's also, the thing she does that other authors just don't do is she just circles back to her own story to solve problems before she creates something new, which is mm -hmm. just good writing right mm -hmm. and so like she'll do something right and then like she'll need a solution to a problem or a prop or whatever and she'll be like, oh wait a second like like the deathly hallows are a great example she might have intended at the end of book six to have harry run into the tiara the diadem in the room of requirement as a mm -hmm. foreshadowing opportunity for the diadem being in book seven. Alternatively, she was looking to create, right? The die we don't hear about the diadem before book seven. It's kind of invented for that book. She was looking to create Ravenclaws because all the other things are made up for that book. So Hufflepuff's goblet is made up in that book. We don't hear about it beforehand. All right, so she's looking to create this object for Ravenclaw, right? So Harry can find it. And then she just circles back. Well, what objects have I already created? Like, is there a part in my books that I can go back to and pick an object that was already there, thus making it look like I foreshadowed it? It's just good writing. Like, it's not to take away from her, 
right? Part of it is genuinely good foreshadowing. Part of it is just combing through and really understanding your own story for these bits and bobs you can pull forward mm-hmm. into later books. And so I think that the, because the, it could be either way. She either intentionally foreshadowed it great or she just like, ah, shit, I need something for Ravenclaw here. What would be cool is if I used this one sentence tiara and like, oh, that was the diadem. And it's fine because Harry didn't notice it and it's all good. Like, I just think that that's just good writing. Yeah, we've reached the the chicken or the egg question for foreshadowing. If you write the object first, is it foreshadowing? If you write the result first, is it? I think it's either way, it's foreshadowing. Like, you're just really good at, it's just being a good author. It's just understanding your own story enough to comb through it, to solve problems within the world before you create new solutions if you don't need to. Mm Mm-hmm. And it makes yeah. it feel real. Like it makes it, it's nice that like not every Deathly Hallow was completely invented for the book. And that there's at least one where there was a one liner where you couldn't have known at the time. But on a reread, you get the joy of getting to the end of book six and be like, hey, it's fucking there, Harry. You just yeah. passed this to the diadem, you idiot. Like, what are you doing? You're, you're going to need that. You silly goose. You just put it right. <laughs> like, it's so all right, let's talk about Hagrid's plan a little bit. I don't have much to say other than just what the fuck. They split up and then Neville does the prank. I love the prank on Neville, like Malfoy's prank yeah. on Neville. That was such an 11-year-old hilarious, like, it wasn't sinister. He just kind of like, j- like a jump scare and then Neville shot Neville shot the sparks out. Which, that's just funny. The rest of it, though, like Hagrid is just the worst, man. Like, what that is he doing? He's splitting them up and then splitting them up goes wrong. So he brings and them then- together and then splits them up this again. And it's just what are we? And then it says they walk for half an hour, split up. I I went on my watch to clock my last outdoor walk to see how long I could walk. In half an hour, it is over three kilometers. In half an hour, and now it's an adult walking intentionally. I'm not like creeping through a forest, but like the distance measured between these two groups of people who are walking on different paths is in the kilometers. That's like what is happening? Hagrid's, That's real far. Hagrid is fired. He's so fired. He's canned. This is inappropriate yeah. detention. <laughs> it's just, and, and then like not even taking them all together. He sends them with Fang. It just, I just don't understand. Because he says that Fang is a coward. So then why would you leave the children with him? I don't understand. Yeah, everything really about this detention is bonkers. It hurts me. All right, detention's over. <laughs> the bunch of... <laughs> Harry sees Voldemort. It's real bad. Ferenz gets into it with the other centaurs. Uh, Hagrid does some stuff. They get back. Uh, this and The end of the chapter has some real gems for me because I forgot Ron wasn't there, which I don't know what that says about Ron because if you had asked me if he was there for that detention, I would have said yes. Some of that's probably from the movie where I am positive he is there yes. for that detention, right? And so I just forgot. And part of it's that I haven't read chapter 14 since what, January or whatever. So that's fine. Uh, McGonagall takes her first dig at fortune telling or whatever <laughs> the centaurs are doing or whatever Professor Trelawney does. Like she's her first dig is taken here. So she's marking her ground, which will be a fun through line uh, through divination is what Trelawney does. The, whatever this bullshit is. She has taken the patented Bradley like what the fuck on astrology. She is taking like why why does anyone care about oh, yeah. this? What is going on? Why are people reading their horoscopes? I don't understand. So me and McGonagall, I didn't I wasn't on her side at the beginning when she's getting this mad about sneaking out at night. Uh, I'm on her side here about the divination. I'm not sure I get it. Yeah. That's fine. And then we get uh Dumbledore giving back the cloak. 
Which is a good decision, because Harry will need that. But also, like, ugh, like, can we just stop forgetting it? Or can we just tell Harry what's going on? You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, Harry gets his cloak back. And a chapter. Do you have anything else you want to talk about in this one? Uh, okay. I, I just like that the note said, just in case. When Dumbledore knows it will absolutely be the case that he'll need it. <laughs> That's fun, too, yeah. And then I just felt really bad uh, for Ron. Okay, so in the forest, Harry figured... Well, Harry doesn't figure it out. Ferenz basically takes him by the hand and leads him to the conclusion that it's Voldemort that needs to drink the unicorn blood to come back to life. So Harry's freaking out because he's like, oh, God, he's back. And he comes back to the door to the hospital wing to tell Ron what happened. And he keeps saying Voldemort. And I swear Ron almost has an aneurysm. He's like, stop saying that. Please. And Harry does not. And I felt really bad for Ron in that moment because man missed out on an adventure. And then Harry just goes back and triggers him repeatedly. Fair enough. We're going to get to Ron in a second because it is time, Rachel, to get to our winners. I forgot yeah. that we did this, but here we are. I had to pick some winners. We got <laughs> we got a, a living entity, like a thing that is alive usually a person that gets a, a chapter winner i remember this now because i wanted to see if harry potter was the winner of the book series harry potter because mm -hmm. he's no one's favorite character so i didn't want to track this so we're all good there and then uh like a more conceptual thing like a, a place a thing a concept a theme uh, so my winner for this chapter and he's technically in the chapter is ron who is not at the detention which is a huge victory ron escapes the detention he gets a good night's sleep he is not out there in the murder forest being almost murdered by Voldemort or almost scared by Malfoy. He has, he's winning in this chapter. Everyone else loses, Ron wins. And so Ron is my winner for simply not being on this detention. Good work, Ron. Way to make a cameo at the very end so you're eligible for this award. Okay, I feel the way about that that you felt about me giving it to Neville. It was like a year and a half ago we filmed that, but you were so mad at me for picking Neville. Why? Because he got like beat up in the chapter and you were like, how could you say he won? He got fucking wrecked. And I'm, okay. So hold up, so hold up. these are opposite opinions. I feel like this tracks with my logic. If Neville gets the shit beaten out of him in a chapter, he's not winning. Ron avoided getting the shit beat out of him in this forest. But he has no character growth. He didn't do anything. He sure did. He wasn't at the detention. Like I, I think the the I think the level of winning. Obviously, at the end of the story, when Harry kills Voldemort, Harry's gonna win that chapter, and the stakes are a little higher. When everybody is on this bonkers detention, you know who wins in book five when Harry's writing down that shit for Umbridge and he's getting his hand cut open. Everyone but Harry wins that. Harry is losing, and everyone else is winning just by virtue of not having their hand cut open. By Umbridge. I'm sticking with my pick. Ron is the winner of this chapter. Everyone else loses. Everyone mm, else is... Okay. Oh, every professor and adult is getting fired, in my opinion. Every other child we run into goes on this bonkers murder detention, and that's bad. And Ron sleeps. And that's a win for this chapter. It won't. It was, sleeping will not be a win for every chapter, but in this chapter, the threshold for winning is... It's, it's winning by virtue of not losing. Okay, well... I for... I the most disagree. That's fine. Disagree uh, usually, <laughs> I think this one has to go to Harry. 
in like a runaway. Because like he comes into the wizarding world and everyone fucking loves him. He's the he's the boy who lived, he's famous, Voldemort's dead because of him, everything's wonderful, he's the youngest seeker, uh, seeker in a century, everything's fabulous. This chapter sucked for him, you know, everyone was the worst really defense. angry. <laughs> Harry really is winning angry. because the rest of the book he was winning, and this chapter. Okay, shut up! Shut up! I'm like, I'm giving the pretense, <laughs> but like, he, he takes his lumps. You know, people are mad at him, and he was like, "I will accept that you're mad at me. I did something wrong." He tries to resign from the Quidditch team. He's like, "I'm really sorry. I did something bad." He doesn't fight back when his peers and his friends kind of shit on him because he acknowledges that he's done something wrong, which you don't always expect from someone who has been given to believe that they're like the perfect chosen one. And then he goes into the forest and then he meets the centaurs. They give him all these prophecies and then he gets stuck with Draco and then he sees literal Voldemort and then he connects all the dots in his head, realizes it's Voldemort, and then he gets to share that with his friends. So, it's, like, if Harry were kind of arrogant like Draco, I think I would have reacted to this chapter differently. Because it would have been like, oh, these peasants don't understand. I was trying to do something that was very important. He does understand. He did something shitty. He accepts that people are going to be mad at him. And then he deals with the consequences. And then even while dealing with the consequences, he learns some new stuff. So I think it has to go to Harry because he was actually there. Okay. Not this is foreshadowing an argument that we have not had that we are absolutely going to have because I am, I am finding a dividing line between our opinion. I am going to guess 100,000% that when we get to Goblet of Fire in the second task, when Dumbledore gives mm -hmm. Harry points for outstanding moral fiber... You're going to be mm -hmm. so into that and be like, Harry, he went down. He broke the rules in order to save Fleur's sister that was noble and gallant. And same kind of same kind of reason here, right? Where you're, you're awarding, and you're allowed to. This is your award. You're, so you're awarding it based on Harry's moral character. This chapter presented a variety of challenges to Harry, a social one in the shame of losing the points, and more mm -hmm. of a physical storytelling narrative one in the murder forest finding Voldemort, and he displayed himself above and beyond the capabilities of an 11-year-old and therefore mm -hmm. is winning. That's totally mm -hmm. fair reasoning. I'm just assuming you're also going to apply that reasoning to Dumbledore giving Harry points in that chapter, whereas the competitor in me is like, fuck off, he cheated. What the fuck? <laughs> like, no, he doesn't win the second task for saving Fleur's sister. Like, good for him, but he there were rules and he broke them, so pfft, he is not... I guess, Did he cheat? Yeah, you were only meant to save the one person, and he saved the two people. And Dumbledore, and Dumbledore rewards this with extra points for outstanding moral fiber, which is fine. It's just you and Dumbledore are awarding it on a different scale than I'm awarding it, which is great. That makes it so much more fun for us to argue about this. But I'm just foreshadowing that when we get to that chapter in book four, we're going to repeat this argument, and it's going to be very fun. In that chapter, Neville? I don't know who I'm going to pick to win, but I'm certain it's not going to be Harry. Because I'm just following the same logic and following in this chapter. Well, in that case, it would be like freaking. I don't know, to like Fred fair, and George, because they didn't get sent underwater. Sure, sure, that's a great. 
Anyone who's not in the Triwizard Tournament is winning. Anyone who's in the stands, sure, Fred and George are winning. Ludo Bagman is going to be winning a lot of chapters in book four. Maybe that's a Ludo Bagman win. I don't know who's going to win, but I'm positive that we're going to have the same argument in book four. I mean, I, maybe, I, it's, maybe it's Fleur because she got out of the water first. I, for one, am a sure, sure. Fleur's winning via being in the water the least. I, you're just helping me out here. You're not convincing me to change my metric for awarding this. You're just giving me a list of people who won more than Harry did in that chapter before we even read it. So you guys can't see this, but my face is getting like more and more red because I'm getting more and more mad at the idea of having this argument. Yeah, I Fleur is Fleur wins that chapter more than Harry does. Anyways, we'll have this argument in book four. We're moving on. Um <laughs> Let's dive deep pot at gmail.com or Twitter or Facebook or whatever if you want to pick a side here because we're just creating deep divisions in the podcasting world that I'm not sure we'll ever be able to resolve at this point. Who is your winner for the place thing concept theme? So I went with a concept. Um, should be it's a kind of a through line from my uh, character pick. I went with the idea of consequences. Uh, because nothing happens in this, at least in this series, in a vacuum. So Harry, Ron, and Hermione help Hagrid. They, uh, Harry and Hermione get detention. Neville tries to help Harry and Hermione. He gets detention. Quirrell tries to feed from a unicorn. He gets cursed. Uh, Friends tries to save Harry from his destiny. Like, in air quotes, he gets told off by his pack. But... Uh, and I'm just going to read what I wrote down because I'll definitely mess it up if I try to wing it. Consequences aren't necessarily a bad thing. They're just the result of something you've done. This isn't a story where choices are made absent the results that stem from them. In the book so far, we've seen that our trio has gotten off scot-free a lot of times. Um, but this is kind of our first warning that that isn't going to be true moving forward. So for that the idea of consequences perfect Com unlike the last pick completely agree with this one um do we think coral gets cursed though like i don't know if the book gets a chance to to kind of confirm or deny that because i because it's just the next chapter he gets killed via voldemort leaving him so do we I'm think that's part of a curse it, it, it can it, it can be confirmation bias for the curse mm -hmm. why not i'm presuming i like Hagrid says it, the centaurs say it, it's, it's a bad thing to drink unicorn blood. I'm just presuming, and, and you know what, Quirrell sounds like he doesn't want to do it yeah, when you okay. hear him talking to Voldemort earlier. So I would just have to assume there is a, a consequence to it. Gotcha. I mean, all, all the context and like it's there in the narrative if you want to pin the curse mm -hmm. on Quirrell, so that's fair enough. I went with mystery. I am choosing more of a narrative thing here. What I liked about this chapter is that there's this overarching mystery that we're trying to solve where the kids think it's Snape, but someone's going after the stone. There's a giant dog guarding it. Someone's going after it. We got to figure out who. And that is an overarching mystery, but within that, to keep us kind of occupied and entertained while we try and solve that, there's this kind of sub-mystery that's just happening within this chapter. Most of it, it ends up being foreshadowing for other stories that we need later. But... There's a sub-mystery of who's killing the unicorns. We don't hear anything about the unicorns before this chapter. I don't think we hear anything about unicorns again for the rest of the series after this chapter. It is just like a self-contained little mystery in this chapter, which I think 
if there wasn't an overarching mystery, I would have some problems with. But because there is this overarching mystery, and this is just a little sub-mystery to kind of get us to the end, I really enjoyed. And I think that layering of mysteries that are completely separate but also completely intertwined was just very deftly done in a way that kept my attention. And I've read this like a bajillion gazillion times, and it's still just as delightful to read the Forbidden Forest chapter. I think it's a testament to how well-woven the two kind of mysteries are yeah, it's kind of like a fun little mystery sandwich because, you know, the book has this whole overarching mystery and, and it takes a really long time to get there. So it's nice to have like a smaller one that you can solve right away. It feels very satisfying. Right. Uh, you've sent me a note while I was yapping away not to forget the alternative <laughs> chapter titles. So I won't. If you were listening to this for the last hour being like these motherfuckers, they haven't done this in a year <laughs> and they forgot about the chapter titles. That was my favorite part. Don't worry. Rachel's got you. Uh, my alternative title for this chapter is Detention, but make it fucking crazy. <laughs> no explanation needed. That's my title. I had a really hard time coming up with a title after I read that because I actually, like, not like the audible no snort that you do and something's funny online. I actually laughed out loud when I read that. Uh, so you did something funny. So I went with something a little more um, symbolic. Uh, so my alternative title for this one was The Innocent Lost. Um, and I thought it'd be nice because it's kind of a double meaning, which is uncharacteristic for me, I know. Um, but you lose the unicorns, which are kind of like a, a pretty global symbol of innocence. So you lose them. So they are the lost innocents. Um, but then you also get the children going into the forest completely unguided by any teacher, only a dog, and they're quite lost in the forest. So, and then they also kind of get their first experience with like a murder and death and danger. So losing innocence in both the plural of in innocent people or things, and then also the idea of losing your innocence, innocent lost. Wonderful. And that'll be it for this chapter. Anything else you want to mention? You really have to fire Hagrid for this. Yeah, Hagrid's, Hagrid's gone. It's unfortunate. Well, it's a good <laughs> thing he actually does get fired and we never see him again because there are consequences. <laughs> as, you, as you pointed out, there are consequences for actions and Hagrid gets fired. It's a real shame because I liked him and... I wanted them to be part of the other books, but he's not. So that's unfortunate. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, do all the things like it, review it, whatever you want to do. There's an email address where you can argue with us about Harry Potter. Let's dive deep pod at gmail.com. There is a Facebook group that you can check. There's just a lot of stuff in the description that you could check out if you'd like to. Uh, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you in the next one.